Uh, Bible reading this morning is taken from the New Testament from Luke, initially chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, which can be found on page 1024 in your pew Bibles, and then continuing from Luke 24, verses 36 to 45. So Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theopolis so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And we move across to Luke 24 on page 1060 from verse 36 to 45. Jesus appears to the disciples. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the laws of Moses the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. Great, great to see you here. Uh, new series, new book of the Bible. I always find that really exciting to open a new book of the Bible and now we'll be spending a good long time in it. We'll be running up to Christmas in the early chapters of Luke and then revisiting it next year uh, reasonably extensively. Um, to open a new series, it's always great to have some really good, clear sermon notes, and you'll find them written on the first page of your bulletin in invisible ink. Uh, so if you've got some lemon juice with you or something, or like a candle, you can work out with that, or you can just, I could tell you now. If you'd like to know where this sermon's going, it's only a few headings. If you've got a pen handy, um, let me fill them in for you. Firstly, Concrete catechism. There's your spelling lesson for a start. Concrete catechism. Point one, expected. Point two, eyewitnessed. Point three, extensive. And finally, things certain and strange. Okay, if you're a, if you're a sermon outline person, I know a few few people are. There it is. Three points mainly: uh, uh, expected, eyewitnessed extensive, and then things certain and strange. Uh, it'll help you to have that passage open, that first passage that was read, 
the beginning of Luke. Uh, only four verses there. It won't be hard to follow along. Uh, all right, let's get going. Uh, I don't know the birthday of many of my close friends. In fact, when I fill out government forms, I discover I don't know the birthday of many of my children. Um, I'm not really a diary attentive kind of guy, so I might really love you, but sorry, I have no idea when you were born. For example, I didn't know that one of my very good friends, a guy by the name of Netflix, was born on the 29th of August 1997. 1997. Apparently, before the millennium was, Netflix was. I think this is amazing. I only met Netflix when it was 19 years old in 2016, when I began to see on Sydney buses this poster. A poster for a show, thanks Anthony, called Stranger Things. Did anyone see that? Stranger Things became my first Netflix binge and still my favourite And it taps into every classic 1980s American science fiction theme you can think of. It has a small Midwestern town of no great significance, a small group of friends who feel so insignificant that they spend all their time playing Dungeons and and Dragons in the basement of their parents' house. And occasionally, if they come outside, just venture around town on those pre-BMX low-rider bikes. Am I speaking anyone's language here? Oh, it struck a chord in my heart. Um, But there's no story about a bunch of insignificant D&D nerds in a basement in a town of, you know, nowheresville, unless there's a darkness on the edge of town. And as you can see from the poster, there was. Uh, A small government-controlled science lab on the edge of Hawkins, the town, is actually a kind of research facility with a gateway, a portal, into another world. Well, actually, into this world, into a kind of underworld of this world, just on the flip side of our world, uh, which is just like our world, only full of darker, stranger things. Uh, a, A place that the children in this series call the Upside Down. And and this world bubbles up into, just occasionally bleeds into our world with horrifying results. Like I said, it's science fiction. But what if our world was somewhat like that, but in reverse? What if we turned that upside down? And what if our world, for all its you know, obvious beauty and delight and sunny days and um, beach weather. It was actually a place of some darkness and discontent. It was actually not an entirely happy right-side-up place, which, of course, it is. That's exactly what it is. In fact, that was the point of the show. (laughs) But what if below our slightly desperate world for all its sunny days there was another world which would bubble up into ours and bring not stranger, more horrifying things, but justice and goodness and forgiveness and love and liberation and redemption. That'd be worth knowing about, wouldn't it? But of course it sounds like science fiction, doesn't it? Well, today we learn it's not. 
It's not. Uh, Today you're going to meet a guy called Theophilus. You'll see him there in verse 3 of Luke chapter 1, verse 4, the very end of verse 3. Most excellent Theophilus. Wouldn't you love to have that name? I am most excellent Theophilus. Um, And he, we we don't really know who he was. People debate who he was. But he's the addressee of the Gospel of Luke and, in fact, also the Book of Acts. Um, he seems to, some people say he's not real. His name means friend of God, so maybe it's just like a person made up to stand for you and me. But I suspect he was real. And what does seem clear is that if he was real, he was fairly new to Jesus, new to this Christ stuff, and from another background. Um, and that there was a lot of things that are very, though he'd come to believe, there are a lot of things that were actually very strange to him. And the Gospel of Luke is written to him, as you can see from verse 4, to show him the certainty of the things he's been taught. He's come to faith, but his faith's kind of shaky and infantile. And now Luke writes to, to deeply ground and give a foundation to his faith, to, to show him the certainty of things taught, or if you like, to give him a concrete catechism. And what a great thing for us. I don't know where you're at. In fact, I know where some of us are at. Some of us are new to faith in Jesus. And something undeniable has happened to us. When I became a Christian, I became a Christian. It was undeniable. And the next day I thought, oh, my goodness, what's happened to me? And it took me about two years to work it out. I take it the same thing happened for Theophilus. Something happened in his life, came belief in Jesus, thought, oh, my goodness, I think this is going to turn the world upside down for me. And when, when you've, And it's true. It's true. And when that happens, you need to know that it's actually right side up. And that's why we have the Gospel of Luke. What a great thing. But even better, you're not just Theophilus. You can be Luke. That is, when I came to faith like Theophilus and didn't really know how it all fit together, there were all these Lukes around who had certainty in the things that were taught. They weren't black and white people. They weren't unintelligent, they weren't just blind faith people, but they knew the Lord and they knew the concreteness of their catechism. They knew their faith was firm and I just, I sheltered under them like under a great tree and I grew. And you might be Theophilus today, but you might also be a kind of proto-Luke, an emerging Luke, someone whose greater confidence in the Lord might bring challenge and blessing to those around you. What a great thing if that could be true. Well, let's see what we learned. First four verses of Luke, three things. Three things. We learn that these things that happened in Jesus were expected. We learn they were eyewitnessed and they were extensively reported. Firstly, expected. First thing to say to anyone who wants to not just have faith, but a firmer and more certain faith, is that you can And one of the reasons why is the stuff that happened in Jesus wasn't some strange, random thing, but was actually expected. It's not something that initially should need a whole lot of justification, because if you understand history, it actually was consistent. Verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Fulfilled among us. 
Note that word fulfilled. There's a little note at the bottom of your Bible that says, or being surely believed. Uh, You know, I think that's probably not the most helpful note. The the word for um, fulfilled there is a, a word for like the filling up of something empty, the kind of the completing of a list that wasn't quite done yet. Um, it's a wonderful word, and it's a really big word for Luke. You can tell that because we read the beginning of Luke and the end of Luke, and if your eyes were really sharply peeled, you'll have noticed that the word occurred in both places. It occurs ten times in Luke's Gospel, but I'll tell you what, if you want to say something is important, write it at the beginning and the end of your letter. And Luke does. Why? Because Luke is really buzzed that what has happened with Jesus is not just kind of an amazing thing or a new thing or a strange thing or to quote Homer Simpson on history, just a bunch of stuff that happened. It's actually a fulfilment, a kind of filling up of things that have gone before. Uh, this is um, intriguing news to Theophilus, no doubt. Why? Because you've actually everyone has a view of history and their view of history kind of is like a filter that they then let things in or out, keep things out. So if Theophilus was a Greek guy, as his name suggests, uh, and perhaps a rich guy, given that two letters are addressed to him, as usually happened to patrons or influential people, then he would have been a, a reasonably learned Greek-speaking guy with a, with a kind of perception of the world consistent with that culture. Now, I don't know what your culture is like, but that culture had a couple of different views of history. If he was philosophically minded, he might have thought, it's all flux, things come around, they turn and they go, nothing much really matters except just kind of holding a line and doing good like a stoic, right? Or he might have been, if he was a political Greek, he might have thought, no, what needs to come is the empire needs to come to fruition. There are different ways of viewing history. Um, If you're a Roman, you think the peak of history is the birth of Rome and the glory of its empire. If you're an Australian, you think history is about progressive evolutionary development where we get slightly better at things all the time and we become more intelligent, more moral. Am I right? Is this our view of history? Until we reach some sunny upland, apparently where the great result and fruit of civilization is we all get to have barbecues with our friends in really nice backyards. Now, I don't know what your view of history is, but you have a view of history. I I would wager that you don't know what it is, that it's influencing you in ways that you don't even know. Um, Hitler had a view of history. It's given to him by Hegel, a German philosopher, said there'd be an idea and another idea, and the creative tension between them would bring something great. And Hitler said that great thing will be the fatherland. We We all have a worldview. We all have a history. And Theophilus would have had one. But he's come to Jesus now, and Luke's saying, ah, it's time for a history lesson. This is not just a bunch of random stuff that happened. This is not a new thing. This is not a strange thing. Do you know what God's been doing for thousands of years? He's made promises and plans that have sort of, he's laid down and have been sitting there like so many beautiful but slightly empty cups. (laughs) And now he's just poured fullness into them with the arrival of Jesus. And that's the promise of Theophilus, not only that he's a challenge to your view of history, but here's a history that unlike any view of history you have is full. 
Now, I love paying out on Australia. You can do that because it's a great country and you don't get thrown in jail. But let me point something out about Australia. Any view of history that leads, that, that the great end result of a sort of evolutionary progression is hyper-individualism, mass consumerism, deep loneliness, psychological distress. Anyone who thinks that is an adequate view of history is psychologically disturbed. You have to be absolutely bonkers to think that we're at some high point of history or that we're just on the edge of it. You can have a morning too. I'd love you to persuade me of that. Have a go. Have a go. I think it's nuts. If this is the best that can bubble up out of all history, then it looks to me like, you know, it's those hot springs at Rotorua. Kind of nice, but stinks a little. Right? But, but Luke is saying, no, no, no. Something, something bubbles up into our world through Jesus that is, wow. You want to be there for it. And that's the second point, actually. Not only were these things expected, but you could have been there for it. They're true. They were eyewitnessed. Verse 2. Many have undertaken to draw an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. I don't need to say much about this, except, did you hear that? It was eyewitnessed. Eyewitnessed. This is incredible news. Most of your friends and mine labour under a kind of view of Christianity. I actually think there's a real turning point for most people on this, and it was the Da Vinci Code. Does anyone remember the Da Vinci Code? All right, three people. Okay. Does anyone ever hear their friends say, oh, the Bible didn't come together until 300 years after Jesus anyway? Put your hand up if you've ever heard that. Anyone heard that? A few more hands? Okay, we doubled our numbers. Mate, even in high school you hear that, right? Um, put your hand up if you've ever heard people say, oh, it's only a matter of interpretation. Put your hand. Yeah, yeah, and I know the rest of you just don't want to be joiners, right? Now, wh why do people think like that? Well, they think like that because for hundreds of years people have been telling people that the Bible's a fiction. And it became very popular around the time of Da Vinci Code, where, where a kind of very well-constructed popular novel kind of introduced people to the crazy idea that, hey, you know the Bible you have, you only got it in 321. And the world went, oh, that's shockingly interesting. And all the Christians went, yeah, we know that. And the insinuation was, therefore, it's all made up. The form of the Bible we have, we got in 321 AD at the Council of Nicaea. That's not news. However, the insinuation that the Bible only came together in 321 is it only has enough truth to be said. It doesn't have enough truth to shed any light. Because the contents of the Bible, for example, the Gospel of Luke, was widely and extensively known, as is Matthew, Mark and John, as was the letter to the Galatians, as was the letter to the Romans, very early. But as letters go around the ancient world, it turns around, you know, when you send one letter off, it goes that way. Another letter, it goes that way. Turns out the people over here didn't know about that letter. And the people over there didn't know about that letter. Is that a surprise? And they couldn't email each other to tell. So in 321, they got together and said, man, we've got a lot of stuff out there. We need to get it together. Oh, surprise. 
Now, but your friends think, ah, that's why you can't trust the Bible. And this is where you can say, oh, did you know? Did you know that some of the Bible writers were in the very, were in fact, or in the very presence of eyewitnesses? Eyewitnesses. Um, you want to know who are our great enemies on this? Theologians. Uh, you'd think theologians would be helpful Christians, wouldn't you? But here are some names. Herman Reimarus, David Strauss, Ernest Renan, Andre Rieur. I know that last one's a violinist. It sounds like he fits. <laughs> and, and that is because about 300 years ago, all the great intellectuals of Christianity were in Germany and they competed with one another to outdo one another. And they outdid one another on saying that the Bible was a fiction, that Jesus was not as he's presented in the gospel, but was actually whatever they said he was, a revolutionary or a lunatic or a whatever. And they competed with each other. The real race was on to be able to date the Gospels as late as possible. Why? Because if you could say that the Gospel of Luke was written even later and that Luke was an even bigger liar, people would give you a great degree. And this is why Da Vinci Code writes this, this sort of cynicism developed. Now, recently, I bought a book. It's one of the ten most famous theology books for the last ten years. Let me lift it up. Oh, that's how I get a workout. Oh, 580 pages by Richard Borkham. Pretty much universally acknowledged as a really landmark work. 580 pages? No, I haven't read them. I've only read about 15, which is all I needed. And um, do you know what he says about the dating of the Gospels and the relationship of its writers to Jesus? Now, just 580 pages, I'm going to digest for you. Pay attention and turn your brains on. His conclusion is that the writers of the Gospels were either actually eyewitnesses of Jesus or knew the eyewitnesses of Jesus. Whew. Glad I didn't need to read that. 300 years of going around in a circle on a journey of human cynicism. You've got to be careful of people doing theology. Trust the people who unpack the Bible for you. What difference should this make? When you see it there in verse 2, Luke's admitting he wasn't there. He's not faking anything. But he sure knows the people who were. And he's very carefully investigated it. So when your friends at, your, at our lovely backyard barbecues kind of drop the it's all interpretation line, don't let that line stand. Man, it's all interpretation getting on the bus in the morning. My kids and I catch the bus in the morning. Let me tell you, it's a war as to who's right over what time we should leave the house. Why? Because everything's an act of interpretation. So to say something's an act of interpretation is just to say nothing. So don't let that stand. Say, oh, that's interesting. Well, given that pretty much everything is about interpretation, why don't we ask the next question, which is, what makes for a good interpretation? Because that's what Luke's offering. He's not offering kind of, you know, a non-interpretation. He's saying, I have looked at it and I've put it in an order for you and I've got it from the eyewitnesses. I think that should add confidence to your faith, don't you? Thirdly and finally, it was expected, it was eyewitnessed and it was extensive. Luke wasn't alone. What does he say, verse 1? Many have undertaken. 
And so, verse 3, I too thought it good to make an orderly account. I think we're kind of under the impression that uh, what we believe has sort of fallen off the back of the historical truck, that it's some, you know, a kind of, a couple of, a couple of rogues or lunatics kind of spat some stuff out and, and we were mad enough to pick it up and believe in it. That's certainly what our friends think about it. But we need more confidence than that. We need more certainty than that. Not because certainty is somehow psychologically helpful, but it's just truer to the facts. The reality is many people knew that something happened in Jesus and went to work to work out what it was. We have Matthew, Mark and John as well. Matthew and Mark seem to depend on another kind of source, which people call Q. I don't know why, they just need a letter for it. People suggest that Luke probably also had another source. That would make sense. Luke talks about carefully investigating stuff. And we know there are many, many, many more reports on Jesus, and we know that the further they got out from Jesus, the more crazy they became. And some of them got very crazy indeed. But the early eyewitness or attached to eyewitness accounts portray a whole lot of kind of commonality and interesting diversity. And there's no reason to run away from them. It's not a small thing done in a corner. It was an extensively reported event, the coming of Jesus. So let me just kind of sum up for you. What should you think about this? That kind of standing on the back foot thing you do as a Christian at the moment, you need to stop it. We need to stop it. The people who accuse us of being fools have not done their homework. Don't be cowed by the kind of majority power of another person. To stand on the back foot under their accusations or their snide remarks is not loving to them, and it won't do your faith any good. Why don't we be like Theophilus and grow up into a more certain teaching? Why don't we, in fact, be like Luke? And, and know what we believe so clearly that people actually have brought blessing and challenge from us sharing it with them. For we have what is both certain and strange to finish. We have something quite certain. Our friends don't love this. In fact, our culture doesn't even like the idea of certainty. But there's a reason why. And let's just call a shovel a shovel. People don't want your faith in Jesus to have any relationship to something called certainty because the less certain your faith is, the more they can ignore it. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? And the less people know about verses like this, the less certain Jesus stays and the more protected they are from him. And I say, don't help anyone in that evasion. Why don't we be like Theophilus or Luke? It's a much better option. And you think, hang on, I'm not trained, Jim. Yes, you are. You think, I didn't read that book, Jim. I say, I didn't read it either. Do you know what I read? I read Luke 1, 1 to 4. And I just checked a couple of questions I had about it. You don't need to be trained. The scripture's pretty clear enough that its writers were not faking. They don't overreach in their claims. They are careful and considered. What do you need to do to be more certain 
in a world that hates the idea of you being certain. Do you need to read your Bible more? Man, make it your task this week. Kick off on Luke. Kick off on Luke. Track with the sermons. Take the Bible in your hands during the week. Do you need to read others who've read the Bible more? That's okay. It's good to read Christian books. I've got a stack of them in my office. Ask me for one. I'll I'll give it to you. If you never lend it back to me, I'll forget because I don't keep any record. So this is the best way you're ever going to steal from me in your life. You've got my permission. Um, Do you need to discuss these things with others? Maybe join a small group. Uh, what do you need to do? Just make it your own. Don't make your aim not to stay where you are now. Theophilus didn't. But become more certain. Grow in the faith. For our friends don't love the idea of certainty, but your faith needs it. And finally to finish, we are both certain and strange. The things we believe are strange. I believe they are certain, but they are certainly strange. The things we're going to read about in the next few weeks, except for your familiarity with the Christmas story, would, would make you question. They are strange. Uh, I actually find this very exciting. Our friends might find it stuffed with which to mock us, but in weeks we're going to see that these things were eyewitnessed were incredibly, un- unbelievably strange. Strange like God taking our world in hand and tipping it upside down, giving it a shake and letting wonderful things fall out from the dross. This is what happened when Jesus came, Christ our Lord. So happy Advent, everyone. Your Christmas just starts now. Heavenly Father, uh, we pray this Christmas uh, that we would come to Jesus not as a personal affection of our hearts, but as the Lord of all history and all people and all time and all creation. Father, if there is any quavering, any shakiness in our thinking, we pray that you would teach us that we might firmly believe, not only for our own good, but for the blessing and challenge of those around us. Father, we thank you that you speak. Teach us to listen.